welcome back everyone to Tour Today Ministries and our continuing series called Pardon My Jargon, Correcting Our Religious Lingo. And today the word that we want to consider is the word baptism. I call this Christianity's most misunderstood ritual. And I think other than music and the church, nothing has split up the church into denominations and, and small sects more than this topic of baptism. And the reason it's such a confusing topic is because the church, for the most part, has removed its Torah foundation. People are surprised to find out that baptism, an English word you find only in our New, Tran New Testament translations, is actually a Hebraic concept that's found throughout the Old Testament scriptures. So what we want to do is look at this term and uh, find out what it means and then use a more street-wise word for it, something that's part of the common vernacular. Because remember, the contention I have for this entire series is that there is no religious terminology or jargon in the Bible. If there is, I haven't found it yet. So the word baptism is a religious word, but the word immersion or the word to wash, these are common everyday terms. And these are the terms we should be using so that there's no confusion in this concept. So let's look at the Greek and Hebrew words that lie behind this word baptism. There are two Hebrew words and there are two Greek words. The Greek words are at the top. And the one on the left is the word baptizo. Obviously, this is where we derive the term baptism. And the one on the right is apoluo. And there's another Greek word, nipto, which I could have put there, and these mean to wash, simply to wash. And their Hebrew equivalents that we find throughout the Hebrew scriptures are taval. In fact, if you like Middle Eastern food, you may like tabuli. And tabuli gets its name from this word taval, to dip, because we like to dip our pita bread in the tabuli. And the other word is rachatz. Taval means to dip or immerse, and rachatz means to wash. And as you can see, taval is the equivalent of baptizo, and rachatz is the equivalent of apoluo. And uh, so these two terms are used together both in the Hebrew scriptures and in the Greek scriptures to refer to this ritual that we have come to call baptism. Let me give you a few examples from the Greek scriptures of how these words are used. 1 Corinthians 6.11 But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Master Yeshua the Messiah and by the Spirit of our God. The reason I'm showing you these terms is because uh, these verses illustrate that the word to wash is often used as a reference to immerse. Uh, we're so used to the word baptize that we often miss the verses that talk about washing, which is the purpose of baptism, of immersion. Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify her, that is the bride, the kahal, the called out people, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And here we find both terms used together, the terms baptizo and the word apoluo. 
And now why do you delay? Arise and be immersed. There's baptizo. And wash away, apoluo, your sins, calling on his name. So they're used in equivalence with each other. To immerse, to wash. Same in Hebrew, same in Greek. Now, there are some uh, main reasons why in Judaism and in the Old Testament scriptures and the Torah, people were immersed. There are ritualistic per reasons for this. And if we understand these reasons, then we'll have a better understanding of what this word baptizo and apoluo mean in the New Testament scriptures. And there are two main reasons that people were immersed in the Tanakh. Tanakh is the term we use. I don't like the term Old Testament, which is one of the terms we'll be looking at in the future episode. But Tanakh stands for the Torah, the Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. In other words, the law, the prophets, and the writings. That encompasses the three parts of what is mistakenly called the Old Testament. But the Hebrew Scriptures is what we call them. So one of the main purposes of immersing someone is to bring to completion a phase of life. One phase of life is brought to an end. A new phase of life has begun. You could also put here, it uh, represents a change in identity. Probably one of the best examples of this is when a single person gets married and a person moves from being single to being a husband or a wife. And so for thousands of years, it's traditional for a Jewish man and a Jewish woman before their wedding ceremony, they each individually go and they're baptized. They immerse themselves because they're bringing one phase of life to an end and starting a new phase. Their identity is changing. I'm no longer just a guy, I'm now going to be a husband. I'm no longer just a girl, I'm going to be a wife. The second main reason is for ritual purity. Ritual purity is something that's uh, very difficult for the Christian mind to understand. For that matter, it's kind of difficult for anybody to understand. But we find ritual purity throughout the Torah, especially in the book of Leviticus. And we have to understand that ritual purity doesn't have anything to do with sin. Ritual purity is a living symbol that we act out that pictures sin. One of the most common ways for a person to become ritually impure is by touching a dead body. But the Torah also commands us to Take care of someone who dies. Prepare their body for burial. And to, to wash the body, dress it, prepare it for its, uh, a proper dignified burial. But by doing so, a person during the times of the temple would become ritually impure. And they would have to go through a ritual of ritual purification. So they are ritually pure once again. Again, this has nothing to do with sin. It is not a sin to become ritually impure, but it's a living picture of a deeper spiritual reality, something I'm sure we'll be discussing down the road at a future date. Some of the examples of uh, why a person would have to go through ritual purity, uh, one of the main ones is if a person recovers from leprosy or zarat, as it's called in Hebrew. Leprosy is not a sin. It was a disease. It's a disease that might be caused by sin, 
But when leprosy did eventually heal up, the person who was unclean before and had to live outside the camp or outside the city walls would now go through a process of once again reinstating ritual purity. There were several things they had to do according to the Torah, but one of the main ones is they had to go and immerse. And after that, they would be restored to ritual purity. They could once again re-enter the, the city, once again uh, resume family life and so on. A woman every month when her menstrual cycle was over and she was ready to resume physical relations with her husband, she would have to go to the mikvah. That's the Hebrew word for a place where a person's immersed. Go to the mikvah, immerse herself. When she comes out, she's ritually pure again and can resume physical relations with her husband. So mikvot, which is plural for mikvah, are found throughout Israel. And even today, when a synagogue is built, a mikvah is built also. And we know that when a Jewish community would move to a new location, before they would build a synagogue, they would build a mikvah so that they could practice ritual purity in the family. And in fact, every time a person, including Yeshua, would go up to the Temple Mount to go to the temple, and we know many times in the Gospels, he would go to the temple and teach there in the courtyards. But every single time he ascended the Temple Mount, he had to go into a mikvah and immerse himself. I have some photographs here, and if you're listening to this teaching through a podcast, uh, I encourage you, when you get a chance, to go to our website, www.tortodayministries.org, and you can download the photographs I'm showing now. <clears throat> Excuse me. This first photograph is a aerial photograph of the southern end of the Temple Mount. Here you can see the southern wall and then the uh, eastern wall of the Temple Mount. Here's the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and just north of it is the Dome of the Rock. But this is the area I want to draw your attention to here. These are the ruins that are, even today, continuing to be excavated of Mikvot, ritual immersion tanks, because anyone who wanted to go up and into the Temple Mount and onto the Temple Mount had to first immerse. And when you consider that thousands of people would go to the Temple Mount every day, that's a lot of water. That's a lot of immersions. And there would be mikvot for the men, mikvot for the women. And then there were arches here in the wall, and they would go up and go upstairs. They would come up in the floor of the Temple Mount facing the temple. If we get a little closer, here is one of those mikvahs on the Temple Mount or at the foot of the Temple Mount. And you can see even now it has some, some water settled in the, the bottom of it. One more photograph. This is down on ground level looking up at the southern wall of the Temple Mount. And there you can see the dome of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And then all through here, you can see mikvahs. Here's part of one here. All up on these steps, there were mikvot. And as we scan on down, you can see others here and here, and they're everywhere. This helps answer a question. Um, 
In Acts chapter 2, it talks about the thousands of Jews who, who embraced Yeshua as their Messiah and they were all immersed. Well, where did they go to get immersed? Well, right here to the foot of the Temple Mount. There are plenty of immersion tanks of mikvot that could easily accommodate all these new believers in Yeshua. But I also mentioned that this can represent a change in identity. And I, I just want to give you one passage from uh, 1 Corinthians 10. If you talk about a major change in identity, this is it. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, which is a, a type of immersion, and all were immersed into Moses and in the cloud, in the sea. They're all immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What does it mean to be immersed into Moses or baptized, as our English translations put it? How do you fit all these tens of thousands of people into a man? Well, the Jewish people, including Paul here, have always recognized that immersion is a symbol. It is a picture. In fact, the term born again or born anew is a Jewish figure of speech. Because when a, a man or woman enter the mikvah, they enter it nude. And it's a picture of them going completely under the water, <clears throat> being cut off from the air. And when they come out, they say this is like being born anew into a new phase of life and into a new identity. It's like dying and coming back to life. And um, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, they were passing from a slave people to a free people. And instead of being subjects to Pharaoh, they are now subjects to the King of Kings, to God himself. Instead of following the rules of Egypt, they're now following the righteous commandments of God. Completely new way to live. So it was proper for them to be immersed into the Red Sea and baptized into Moses. So what does that mean, baptized into Moses? Well, when you are immersed into something, you become part of that something. And whatever happens to that substance happens to you. And when they followed Moses and when they went into the waters of the Red Sea, whatever happened to Moses would happen to them. If he drowns, they drown. If he makes it across, they make it across. So to immerse, to really embrace the ritual of immersion means you are completely identifying with the one you're being immersed into and the one that you are choosing to follow and identify with. So immersion is very common in Judaism, always has been. It happens on a number of occasions through one's life. And unlike in the church where you're baptized once, uh, usually to join the church or to express faith in Messiah, which are both fine reasons for being immersed, there are also many other occasions where a person could be immersed. But again, the Jewish people have always recognized immersion as something that is symbolic. There's nothing magic about the water. In fact, the Talmud tells us that when a person immerses, they should be completely immersed in the water. But if there's not enough water, 
just sprinkle the water on their head. And if there's no water at all, use sand. So they weren't hung up and legalistic about the method of immersion. But if there's enough water, you go completely under. No one touches you. You want to be completely covered by the water. And it's a picture of being reborn anew. Now, in Judaism, there are traditional reasons for being immersed. We've covered some of them, but let's make a list. Prior to a young man's bar mitzvah or a young lady's bat mitzvah, when they pass from being a childhood to being considered an adult, this happens in a girl's life around the age of 12 and a boy's life around age 13, they are now considered adults. They are now responsible for themselves. And God is not going to lay at their parents' feet the misbehavior of the child. God is going to hold the child responsible for their behavior. So at a bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, this young man, this young woman are now considered adults. They've passed from childhood to adulthood. There's a new identity. One phase ends, a new phase begins. I mentioned marriage. Prior to a marriage, uh, the man, the woman, will each individually go to the mikvah and immerse themselves because they're entering into a completely new phase of life. Prior to Yom Kippur, in the fall you have Rosh Hashanah, and 10 days later you have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And this is seen as a rehearsal for Judgment Day. And it's seen as a time of making a brand new start with God of putting away sin, repenting of things that you may have accumulated in your life over the past year, and making a brand new start. And when people go to the synagogue for Yom Kippur, they're always wearing white to show that they're clean, they're washed anew, and they're, they're, they're beginning again with God. And so the Orthodox Jewish people and conservative Jews will each go to the mikvah uh, right before Yom Kippur. So they're ritually clean, and it represents this new, clean standing before God. And I mentioned after a woman's monthly cycle, before she begins a new month and reconnects with her husband, she goes to the mikvah. One phase has ended, a new phase has begun. And of course, if a person has been caught up in a, a sin, or um, and he repents of that, or he converts to Judaism, or... He comes to faith in Yeshua. That is a perfectly appropriate time to be immersed because now you have a new identity. You've ended one phase of your life. You're entering into a brand new phase of life. Now, with all of this in mind, this will help us answer a question I often hear. Why did Yeshua have to get baptized? Because after all, if we think of baptism as something that sinners do when they become believers or when people want to join the church. What does this have to do with Yeshua's baptism? Well, let's read the account. We're going to look at the account in Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 9. In those days, Yeshua came from Nazareth of Galilee and was immersed by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. What is happening in Yeshua's life? He's 30 years old, 
He's come from Nazareth, where he has lived as a stonemason. But now he's putting that phase of life behind him. And he's beginning now his ministry as a rabbi, as the Messiah. So what he did before comes to a close, and now he starts something brand new. So it's only appropriate that he should go and be immersed as he now takes on a new identity. That's as the king of Israel. So I hope that this short discussion about this word baptism has been helpful. Um, this started out to be a very long teaching, and I really shortened it down because I wanted it to be something you could really grasp hold of and, and, uh, and get a handle on. But there's much more to say, and I encourage you to do more research on your own about the, uh, the traditional practice of immersion and baptism in Judaism. And it will really help you understand more what it should look like in the church. But unfortunately, it's become a very misunderstood ritual among most Christians today. So, until our next episode, I wish you shalom and God bless. Over and out.